Hey everybody, welcome to the final edition of Hey Fightin' Podcast, the official podcast of LSU football, before LSU plays Clemson in the college football playoff national championship. Not the final edition of the podcast altogether, like I literally record one immediately after the game. And hopefully when I'm recording that one, LSU's won the game. But that remains to be seen. I remain confident that LSU is going to win this game. I'm not making predictions, I never do. But I, I remain confident that LSU is, is the best team in the country. And this may be their toughest challenge yet. Clemson's really good, and the more I watch them, the more I realize that there's some challenges that they're going to pose for LSU and that LSU is going to have to play its best game to win. But I also expect LSU to play its best game because that's what they've done all year. They haven't shown me any different, really, that they're not the best team in the country at any point. Yeah, there's been times where the defense didn't play its best, there hasn't been a time where the offense didn't play this best. The offense has been pretty fantastic all season. Maybe they had a couple games, Mississippi State, Auburn, where they didn't finish in the red zone maybe the way that you'd want to. But I think you look at the underlying metrics of this team. I mean, you could look at the overlying metrics. It's best offense we've ever seen at LSU. Maybe the best offense we've seen in college football. So I remain confident in this LSU team because they've given us no reason otherwise to not be confident. But still, it's college football. Weird things happen. That's why you play the games. And Clemson's a really good football team. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. I'd like to start the show by saying something that I've reiterated throughout the entire season, and I want to reiterate it here. Enjoy it. Like, just enjoy it. Enjoy the buildup. Enjoy the nerves. Enjoy the anticipation. Right now you're listening. It's probably Monday. It's the day of the game. Maybe you're on your way to work. Maybe you took the day off work, sent in a quote-unquote sick excuse to your boss who you know what your boss probably took the day off too if he's a or she is a real LSU fan but regardless it's it's probably the day of the game you're probably a little excited maybe a little nervous probably confident like I am but however you're feeling right now listening to this podcast just take a deep breath enjoy being here because you don't know when LSU is going to be back hopefully they're back every year reality tells us that's probably not going to be the case we don't know when LSU will be back in the national championship, 14-0, and with the Heisman winning quarterback, with the national coach of the year, with the Blitnikoff winner at wide receiver, with the Thorpe winner on defense, with first-rounders all over the roster, with NFL draft picks, future NFL draft picks all over the roster. There's going to be a time where you look back on this day and remember it as the quote-unquote good old days. And I'm not saying that there aren't plenty more good old days to come. In fact, Coach O talked yesterday about how you know, he kind of playing off of the idea of we're coming and, uh, sorry, we coming. There's no apostrophe R-E and, and there's no G in there. It's we coming. He, he played off that idea of we coming and someone asked him, you know, about making that statement. He said, look, we're still coming. We're still not backing down. We, we think we still have a ways to go. We're happy to be here, but we think this is just the start. Hopefully this is just the start for LSU. All that said, to be in a national championship game, in New Orleans, with all the storybook things that have happened this season, is an unbelievable opportunity. It's been an unbelievable experience for me to be kind of along for the ride. I know it's been an unbelievable experience for y'all to be along for the ride. It's been an unbelievable experience just to do this podcast before games and after games and just to have a little bit of a window into this team and its success and how special they are. And it is a special team. It's the confidence that they have. It's the confidence they exude. It's the character with which they play and, and and live off the field too. I mean, I was thinking about it today, just the discipline 
issues that so many teams face, this team really hasn't faced. You haven't seen guys getting in trouble off the field. They've just done everything right from start to finish. And today's episode, I was going to sit down with with Jacob Hester, do kind of our pregame thing for 30 minutes. And then I realized like literally on Friday, I went in and sat in with Hester and we talked for more than 30 minutes. But we talked about all the stuff that we talk about here. We talked about one, the character of this team, the character of this program, the character of this athletic department, and how from top to bottom, from Scott Woodward and Ed Orgeron, you know, down to to me and, and the creative staff here and Will Stout making the hype videos and and all the people that are putting in work, Michael Bonnett, sports information, literally from top to middle to bottom and everywhere in between, LSU sports, LSU football is filled with people who just work really hard and push each other. I know constantly I'm motivated by the work that other people are doing, whether it's Joe Burrow out there basically playing perfect football or Clyde Edwards there running over people that are twice his size or Jamar Chase making incredible catches or Derek Stingley with incredible coverage or Rashard Lawrence laying it on the line, guys playing through injuries, guys coming up with clutch performances. Those things inspire me. But the work that that LSU athletics and, and everyone in our program has done all year also inspires me when I see you know, people staying up late to, to get a, a coach's show done, when I see you know Matt Tornquist staying up late to make a social video, when I see Will Stout putting out incredible hype videos, Chris Perrin and Gus Stark throwing out incredible photography, Lindsey Thompson with the best graphics in the country, Brandon Barrio planning out social media strategies weeks in advance. There's just so many people Emily Dixon doing two jobs, basically working for the football department, football program, and then coming over and doing media too. I mean, it, it, there's from top to bottom, there's people everywhere. The trainers, Jack Marucci and Shelly, their whole team, the equipment guys, Greg Stringfellow, Eric Cookmeyer, that whole crew. I mean, there, there's everyone in the department has been working their tails off to get here and they've pushed everybody. And the team is, is the representative of that in the face of that. But before the games even played, I just wanted to say how proud I am of all these people, how proud I, proud I am to be a part of it, and uh, and how awesome it is to be a part of the LSU family. And that includes you. Like if you're listening to this, you're a part of that family. And it's just been amazing to be in New Orleans, walking around, lots of purple and gold and go Tigers, and it, it just feels like you know one of the Clemson players put it really well yesterday. I think it was Isaiah Simmons. He said it's like you're stepping into a different country. And he's right. This is a different country. It's LSU country. It's LSU football. And win, lose, or draw tomorrow, um, win, win, lose, or draw on Monday in the national championship game, it remains a special place and a special time. And uh, it's been awesome to share it with all of you. So to get back on the point, what I was saying is that uh, I was going to sit down with Jacob Hester for 30 minutes, and I realized I'd already done it. Um, we're busy. We, we've got more work to do. So rather than sit down with Jacob Hester and talk about the same things for 30 minutes and maybe not do it as well, I said, hey, Jacob, can I borrow your radio show and edit it a little bit and uh, use some of the, the good conversation we had there and, uh, and, and play it on the podcast? He said that was fine. And uh, so that's what we did. I did trim out some of the, the radio jargon and you know coming in and out of breaks and all that stuff. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll catch that. I split it up into a couple different segments. You'll catch that. But a big thanks to Hester, not only for you know, all season coming on the podcast, but also for having me on his show and uh, letting us use that show. Hanging with Hester, 104.5 ESPN in Baton Rouge. Weekdays, 1 to 3, check it out for the live stuff. You can also subscribe to the 104.5 ESPN podcast. I'll place a link to this actual episode uh, of Hanging with Hester 
in the episode description of this podcast. So you can uh, you can listen to both. You can check out Hester's work, 104.5's work. So big thanks to them. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to throw it to that conversation. It's about 30 minutes. I'm going to come back after that and close things out uh, before the game with one final thought before LSU and Clemson play. So right now, the uh, the music's going to come on. I'm going to toss it to my conversation with Jacob Hester, and I'll see you after that. Earlier this week, a uh, 60-minute drive for a 60-minute game. By the way, if you don't know, Cody Warsham writes the scripts for all of the LSU hype videos. The latest one, it dropped just yesterday, and it's got four and a half million views. So that line, I, I got to give credit to that line to Derek Panamski. He he came up with that line. We met at Walk-Ons for, to talk about the video with Will, and he said, you know, he, Derek kind of steers the whole thing, right? He lines up all the 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 voiceover actors, and he gives me a theme usually probably about 75% of the time. And uh, he said, 60-minute drive for a 60-minute game. That's the theme. And I was like, okay, I can, I can work <laughs> with that. And so it was all about time and you know, hours and miles and distances and stuff like that. But I, I got to give credit to Derek for that line. That was a great line. Look, we're going to cover it from literally every angle, but I got to continue real quick about this hype video because there's, been some, there's been some favorites of mine. Okay. And, and I feel like every time I'm like, oh, can't be beat. Like even the first one, yeah. When Shane West did, I'm like, oh, man, man, I don't know if that's going to be. He beat. crushed it. He I mean, crushed the voiceover the in that one was yeah. unbelievable. And then the Tim McGraw, and then I mean, everyone really in between. And then you get to this one, and in college football now, like this is a big thing. Like yeah. when you put stuff like this out there, some people might say, say, you know, how's this really matter yeah. to the football program in 2020? All this stuff matters to your football program and what builds it up. Mike Leach, which we'll talk about at some point on Twitter, you saw, you know, gifs of pirates and pirates of the Caribbean from their athletic director. It gets the fan base kind of going and juiced up for whatever you're trying to sell. It connects everything. It connects fans. It connects players, recruits, kids from other schools. You know, last night, I typically don't do this, but last night, because I knew that that was a special video, I I was searching to see who all had quote tweeted it and, and liked it and retweeted it and all that stuff. A lot of current football players at other schools, Georgia, Boston College. Um, I was about to say Clemson, not Clemson. Um, <laughs> some, some kids from, from schools all across the country had engaged with this video and talked about it. And that's the power of, of what Will does with those videos and Derek kind of spearheading the whole thing is, one, it's easy to access. Um, two, it's different. There's not really – there's hype videos out there, um, certainly for a lot of programs, but the style that Will yeah. does – getting the music, the way that he goes the extra mile to reach out to the, the musical artists to get them involved. Derek lining up a, 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 an Avenger. Like, I mean, come on. I mean, how, how much better does he <laughs> get than straight that? straight-up so, Avenger. Yeah, so fr- from New Orleans, too. So it's um it's really cool, and it's fun to be a very, very small part of that. But it, it does. It, it connects everything it is necessary. I think you have to have that that arm of your program that is connecting and is doing something different because it distinguishes you. Um, the good thing is – and, and We've gotten a lot of credit for it this year, and, and we're all very appreciative of it. But, you know, the team is 14-0. Like, if they were 0-14, we probably wouldn't have as good of hype videos, but they're they're 14. I, right. I guess 0-14 is not an actual record you could have. You, you it's not, play, but I was going to go with it. <laughs> but it for, Unless you know, you're the Browns. Uh, true. Um, yeah. We don't want to talk about that, though. But, uh, yeah, I think I think it's, it's one of those things where the team's success has driven all that. It's just a good arm of the team to have. Right. Just like you need... 
other aspects of it to have that kind of media outreach, I think is beneficial. And I think the chemistry of the entire program and I'm talking trainers, equipment managers, uh, social media, I'm talking about digital media, graphics, uh, SIDs, everybody has been in, in lockstep this entire season. And when I do interviews, people ask me, what's the biggest thing that you can point to for the success? And I say that, I say, it's not just the players and coaches. Now, obviously Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger and and everybody that, that, how that's worked out. They put their egos to the side and that chemistry outstanding. The players, Clyde and Joe, the rapport that, uh, that they have between each other. Right. And they can look at each other and know what the other one wants them to do. You got to have that to win championships, yeah. but I think it's just everybody working for the common goal. It's been really impressive, just kind of watching from the outside. Yeah, I think we picked up on that before the season too. I don't think that's necessarily a product of the winning. I think that's a product of the culture that the coach O and, and Scott Woodward have set, where everyone's got to pull the rope, everyone's got to do their job, and when that happens, it gets contagious. I know, I know it is for me. I know it is for you when you're over there too. Like I'll be in the office doing something, and I'll see something that that Matt Tornquist does, or that Emily Dixon does, or that Lindsey Thompson does. And I'm like, man, that was so good. Like, I have to, I have to do something better, like better than I was planning to do. Like <laughs> right. this, this story I was planning to write is not good enough. I have to make it better. You ever this, ball it up and just throw it in the trash? Yeah, like, well, I do most everything like on like the notes app or Word doc. Okay, I'm, so a, I'm a little met- bit older than you, Cody. So just let me, well, let me live a little bit. I'm a, I'm, I'm a tree guy. I want to save the trees. So I don't print <laughs> out my stuff. But metaphorically, yes. Like I hit that delete button, which kind of is yep. like the, you know, it looks like a trash can. So it's kind of like throwing something in the okay, trash can. Fair enough. But everyone over there does such good work, and that's not just in the the media side. It's you go over to Jack Marucci's office or uh, Shelly Mullenix's office, and they're in there early, and they're staying there late, and they're pouring their heart into what they're doing. And you see Jack Marucci. I mean, this is in the fall before things started, and I see him tracking receivers' eye motions on a computer, and he's got all these data points. And I'm like, this guy is grinding just to give LSU that yep. one little marginal benefit you know when, and it, when was that was that the summertime like right before the season because i walked into the indoor yeah and he had the, the receivers had just these gadgets on their head yep. and he's literally seeing which eyes more dominant which yep. one they catch better with and he, he tells the coaches and the coaches actually take the info and listen to it and they'll line a guy up depending on what his strength and his weakness is that yeah. that, that to me is next level yeah so that's that that touches on a couple things one plug alert I did a story on that uh, summer of 10,000 catches, which you can read at LSU Sports Center. If you Google that, it'll probably pop up. But that was right. You walked in in the summer when they were actually doing the tracking. I walked in right before fall camp because Jack was still over at the the old training facility. The, or Broussard. Over yeah. at Broussard in the stadium. And I walked in to ask him. I think I was doing a story on the opening of football ops. And I walk in. He's sitting with this guy. They're doing eye tracking technology and I just see a computer screen with all these little red dots and it's clearly from like a camera that's on a receiver's head and a ball is flying at him. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like what, what's happening? But the culture that that touches on is one, the hard work that everyone in the program puts in from the the student video guy, Will Stout, right. All the way up to the very top. And then the other part is that everyone's pulling their weight and nobody feels like they're above anybody else in terms of, nah, that information you're trying to give me is not valuable. Like everyone is willing to listen. Steve Ensminger is willing to listen to Joe Brady's ideas. They're willing to listen to the analysts. You know, they're willing to listen to just about anybody that's got some input. And that's because I think Coach O does that. Coach O goes to Jack Marucci every day. He goes to Tommy Moffitt. Right. He has people that he trusts and he hires people that he trusts. And then he takes their information and uses it when, when it's the right call to make. So it's, it's, it's program wide. It started before the season. It's not a product of the winning. It's what's caused the winning in my opinion. And it's been why LSU is where they are. And uh, the hype videos aren't done just yet. 
No, more hype videos coming. I think we have, I don't know if this part's been announced, so this is a special for your listeners and viewers. I think we're doing one on Saturday and then one more on Monday. And the titles we've released on LSU Football Twitter, um, I'm trying to remember the title of the second one. I know the, the third one is Rock Bottom. Trying to remember the title of the second one. I wrote it. I should be able to remember it, but I can't right now. It's slipping my mind. But two more hype videos, um, which is kind of mind-blowing in itself. I When I wrote the one that, that Will did yesterday, I was like, all right, no more hype videos. Like, this is a weird feeling. And it was like, hey, you got two more to write. Let's go. Write two more. And I was like, oh, I guess Will has to make one more, and Matt Tornquist is going to make one more. But, hey, the team is putting the effort. They deserve it, so we'll give it to them. And after the win, we need to have, like, an ultimate, just, like, combination of – Voices, video, music, just a mashup. Okay, so now you're trying to put more work on my my plate here. Which Dude, basketball can wait. I know you're itching to get to the basketball team. They had a nice road win. We talked about it for ten minutes. People were like, "Hey, um, the football team's playing for a natty." I'm like, "Yes," but it was a big SEC win, one they advanced from last year. So we'll get you to basketball sooner or later. Well, here here's the the plan. So all week I've been planning on how can I get my work done as quickly as possible after the game, so that if LSU does win, and that's an if, we don't know yet. If they do win, I want to be done with my work as fast as possible yeah. so that I can get to Bourbon Street and I can get to all the, the uh, hangouts. Let's call them hangouts after yeah. the game and enjoy that. So there's going to be a couple of days where someone might assign me work. I just don't know how well I'll be able to get it done for what's called extenuating circumstances. Yeah. Maybe I have to take a sick day or something. But by the end of the week, if LSU wins, yeah, I'll be ready to, to drop something else. Yeah, uh, Gordon Linden Rush, if you're listening to this show or watching on CST, by the way, we are on Cox Sports Television today, so glad to be on CST. We are uh, obviously CST family here on Hang with Hester. But, Gordy, if you're listening, I've got some days that I've built up to take off. Cody and I are both taking those days. We might <laughs> just be hanging out watching soccer, but it's going to happen. Yeah, our Arsenal's actually enjoyable to watch. By the way, text from a listener, uh, one Brandon Barrio, the title of the second video <laughs> Is finish. That's okay. the t- so we have finish, and we have uh, rock We've, bottom. We actually both should have known this. You wrote it, and I helped get the voice for the video. So we ah, probably both should have known this. We should have, but we're you know we we've got our our attention is divided right now. We're really focused yeah. on the football game at this point. I think people will forgive us for that. We're gonna get in a little X's and O's here. Like I said, I steal Cody stats on almost a daily it's basis. It's not stealing. It's it's. Borrowing, using, as long as you give credit, it's not I plagiarism. Yeah, well, I still steal them. I mean, okay. I'm like, I know Cody's going to have a juicy stat. <laughs> I'm going to go to it. And the best part is, like, I'll be in your office and we'll be doing the podcast and I'll start to talk. And I'm like, I wonder what Clyde's usage rate is this year. And you're like, hold on. And then you, and you have go. it. Ready to go. So the way that I like, I'm not a football guy like you. I didn't, I stopped playing in middle school. So I'm not going to be like very strong on the X's and O's other than what I've read. And, and I try to study as much as I can. But the way that I watch a game when I go back and rewatch it is I have the game up and I watch it and I'm like, oh, that was interesting. Like I noticed that was like a cover three. Oh, let me go look up the stats for Joe's throws against cover three. Like that's just kind of how I watch. So I, I'm very statistically inclined because it's my best way of understanding the game. And fortunately, we have some tools that we can use to get some of those cool numbers. So you're welcome to have any numbers <laughs> you want as long as I can steal your football analysis. That is that is very fair. And when I start talking football. And I want to find out where I think LSU has an advantage. It is the middle of the football field against Clemson's defense. And I realized that you're going to throw, not you per se, but people are going to throw Isaiah Simmons' name out there as far yeah. as, man, what are you talking about? He's a middle linebacker. He can cover anybody. I understand that. But when he's not, and he'll line up other places a yeah. ton. I mean, I saw the breakdown of where exactly he lines up. It's safety. It's in the box as a stack backer. It's on the line of scrimmage. He's, he's been a corner 
I think, 14 plays yeah. this season. So he'll line up at different uh, places almost on every snap. And when you look at who they have in the middle of their field as far as safeties and middle linebackers, they all kind of have tight hips. They struggle when guys get their hips moving a little bit. Yeah. And say Clyde edwards Elair on an angle route where he's made a lot of hay this year. He's run, he's run that route maybe more than any he's ran. Thaddeus Moss, and I'm not talking about reinventing the wheel here. I'm talking about just a check down over the ball yep. or Thaddeus Moss on an intermediate dig route right over the middle of the football field. I feel like those are mismatches for LSU because those backers and those safeties aren't great in coverage when you make them move a little bit. Yeah. And Thaddeus and Clyde are about as good a tight end running back route runners as you're going to find in the country. So, so they, they don't play really a third corner. They play two corners and then three safeties yep. basically. And the, Simmons has been very good this year. But Simmons and then I think 24, maybe his name's Nolan Turner. I, I can't remember his name exactly off the top of my head. I may be right in my recollection. Those two guys are exploitable in coverage. They ha their numbers aren't terrible. I think Simmons, like NFL pass rating against, is in like the the high 80s, which is is not terrible um, for for a, a guy that plays that position. Um, and then the the other kid Turner, I think his is in like the 110s, 120. So he's yeah. he th that's the two guys that I circle. I know Simmons is really versatile, but in the passing game, I kind of circle those guys and say, okay, let's see what we we can get there. That said, I still like. Jamar Chase and, and Terrace Marshall in one-on-ones with corners on the outside. Like I, it, now, don't get me wrong, Clemson's corners have been fantastic this year. If you look at their their advanced stats, they're as good as any corner yep. pair in the country. I still like LSU's guys in those situations, though, because I, I just trust Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall. But I really like whatever Clemson decides to do with the trio of Justin Jefferson, Thad Moss, and Clyde Edwards-Elair. And you kind of see which pieces they put on which guy, and then there's going to be one or two mismatches there that LSU can go to on offense. And and Joe is the best at it in the country, maybe the best we've ever seen, at finding that mismatch and attacking it. So I don't think he'll have any trouble with that. He'll, he'll still go to Jamar. Like, he'll still say, okay, you want to guard Jamar one-on-one -on, -one on the edge? Let's go to him. But you do have those other options. I think that the semifinal game is going to tear, just make the Clemson defensive staff just look at what they saw and say, you know what? A lot of teams are, are defending Jamar Chase with multiple guys playing bracket coverage. We can't do that. Yeah. Number two is a problem. Yeah. And he's a number he's a problem when you pay attention to him. And if you leave him alone like Oklahoma did, he's gonna have fourteen catches, yeah. over two hundred yards, four touchdowns. And a lot of people point to the Mississippi State game plan as far as, well, you only scored thirty some points and in the red zone you had some trouble. Let's not forget Terrace Marshall wasn't in that contest. Right. And Terrace Marshall, before he goes out in Vanderbilt, was tied for the lead, I believe, as far as receiving touchdowns yeah. in the country. I think yep. they they both had six there. And Joe Burrow trusts Terrace Marshall maybe more than anybody in the red area. In the That's red when zone. he right. looks for him. In the, in the red zone. That's yep. the difference maker. If you want to play bracket coverage on two guys, which from my perspective, it's not good football. But no. if you want to, LSU has a third guy that will make you pay. And that's yeah. the difference from when Terrace Marshall was out to now. No doubt, and I don't think Clemson will do that. I don't think they'll bracket anybody. I think they'll say, you know what, we trust our two guys one on one on the edge, and we're you know we're gonna have a, a deep safety. I think they're gonna play like LSU plays. I think they're gonna play one deep safety. I think they're gonna go either man or cover three across the board and and try to play as straight up as possible. Um, the flip side of the ball is is interesting to me when when I look at LSU's defense versus Clemson's offense, and I, to me the difference in the game is is Trevor Lawrence can be superhuman at times. But he can be human at times. Yeah. And Joe Burrow this season, we haven't seen him be human once. He's been 
transcendent all season. If you pressure Trevor Lawrence, he goes from superhuman to pretty good. He is his pressure number a numbers, little bit over 50% completion. He's, he's right? over 50%. His NFL passer rating drops from like 130 to 106. 106 NFL passer rating is great. If if you had yep. that in the NFL, you'd be fantastic. Joe's is like 148. Yep. Okay, so that's that's a big difference right there. Um so if you get some pressure on him, he becomes human. If you press Clemson's receivers, they become manageable. And, and I looked at the numbers this week, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but the teams that pressed Clemson most had the most success. So Ohio State pressed Clemson the whole game with Okuda and yep. the kid on the other side, and, and Clemson's receivers struggled. And if you look at the four games that were, they were pressed most, their receiver rating, which gets the, the flip of quarterback rating, was all below 100, uh, every single one of them. The games they were pressed least, were the games that they had their best games in the 130s and 140s. So you can that doesn't account for ETN and right. and, and and the matchups that, that he can and the the problems he can pose. But if you press their receivers, you can neutralize them. Teams have neutralized those guys. They looked very very okay to below average against Ohio State because Okuda was on one side just jamming and and on same kid on the other side doing the same thing. So if Stingley can do that on one side, Christian Fulton can do that on the other side, which that's what they've done all year. No one has pressed more. Literally, they have right. the two most press snaps in the country. If they can neutralize Clemson's receivers, that that thins the margins, right? This game is, is going to be one on the margins probably. That thins the margins and makes it much harder on Clemson to get the, the 40 points that I think they're going to need to win this game. Clemson will see more man coverage in this game than they've probably seen all year long because they haven't gone against a set of corners that can handle Higgins and Ross on the edge there. But LSU, the challenge is, okay, we have to sprinkle in some zone coverage. You yeah. can't play straight man the entire game. That's not fair to your cornerbacks. But LSU, when you look at the last, I believe it's three games as I looked it up, they've played quarters coverage like six times total. Yeah. Let's not forget, they were a big quarters team as they were trying to figure out how to play with this offense, yep. right? How to be on the field more and how to work through some of the injuries that they had. So they've been way more aggressive here the last three or four games. I always say three games because uh, I'm not giving Arkansas very much credit with the product they yeah, put out there yeah. on the field. But the last three games, I mean, they've been aggressive. Do you think that style stays the same? And I'm talking about coverages. I'm talking about blitzes. I'm talking about going after the quarterback like they have. So the last three games are three of the most five blitzed games that Dave Aranda has called. They've blitzed like crazy. I think – I think Georgia was the most they've blitzed. No, Texas A&M was the most they've blitzed yeah. all season. They just went after Kellen Mond. They pinned their ears back, went after him. The difference for LSU has been the emergence of Mo Hampton to be able to play that deep post safety. Right. And he hasn't played a ton. He's played like 11 snaps a game there, 12 snaps a game there. It seems like more than that because he's making an impact. He's not playing a ton there. But what he does is he stands back there, and he's he's capable. He can come down and hit you like yeah. he did. Was that the Oklahoma game he where he Jalen came Hurts down and, hit and yeah. popped Jalen Hurts? Um, he can play center field and, and cover sideline to sideline, but he frees up Grant Delpit and he that's frees up Jacoby That's Stevens. the biggest thing. And so the, the the stat that I like with that is, this is kind of a convoluted stat, but let's just call it success rate. LSU's had a success rate of 38, per, or excuse me, offenses have had a success rate of 38% against LSU all season. 38% of the time, they have a positive play. It's called a positive play. When Mo Hampton's on the field, that drops to 26.5%. So when he's been out there, it makes the defense yep. better, kind of like a domino effect. I don't know that he's – Mo's a very good player, and he's got a very bright future in football and baseball. But he, he, it's not like he's out there making 10 tackles a game and getting two picks. But his presence has a domino effect to where you can get Grant closer, you can get Jacoby closer, 
Um, you can just rush with three down linemen instead of four. You can do some different things that you weren't able to do before, which Todd Harris was supposed to give you that. Todd Harris was supposed right. to be that guy it's in center big field. big injury that people don't talk about. And he got hurt, and that caused LSU's defense to shuffle and say, what's our identity? How are we going to yep. fix this? Because he was a huge part of that identity. And Moe's emergence has L- allowed LSU to find that identity again. When Mo Hampton's on the field, I, I think it's so important because now you have a trust in him, but what you're able to do, and you you allow Grand Delp, like you mentioned, to be kind of last year's Grand Delp as far as where exactly he can line up on the field as my computer yells at me right there. And then you talk about Jacoby Stevens in this game is, is very intriguing to me because he, he can become a hybrid really quick. Yeah, And I mean that in a positive manner. And I kind of talk about him in the same light I do Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis played safety at Georgia. He's played 15 years, I think, at linebacker in the NFL. And Jacoby Stevens has that to him. And it's not a negative. I think it's a big positive because then you're creative with him. And, look, I know he got beat by C.D. Lamb in quarters coverage. Was he was coverage. right there to make was a good play. Coverage. A good player made I mean, a good play. He made a hell of a play. Yeah. I mean, C.D. Lamb's one of the best in the country. And Jacoby Stevens was step for step with him. Yeah. He can do that. He can be the extra defender in the box against Travis Etienne. I mean, th- this is a guy that I feel like you have to utilize. But before Mo Hampton emerged, you couldn't do it. No. You couldn't do it. You had to have one of those two guys in the post. The other thing that's happened is Kerry Vincent has played his tail off the last yeah. four weeks. If you look, if you go back to the Florida game, he hasn't allowed a touchdown from the slot since the Florida game. That's how good he's been in the nickel. Early in the season, Texas picked on him a lot. Yeah. Uh, Duvernay had a big game yeah. for Texas. He's taken the next step. He's making the plays. And what was crazy about Kerry early in the season, he was right there, kind of like you were just talking about with Jacoby. I can think of so many catches where Kerry was right there, just an inch away from getting his hand on the ball, but wasn't quite there. It feels like whatever that half second was that he, that he wasn't getting there, he hadn't gotten faster, so I think he's probably pro- <laughs> processing things faster because yeah. um, he was already really, really fast. I think he's just processing things a half second faster. And if you look at his season numbers now, I think he's seventh among – FBS nickels and passer rating against. Yep. He's got four interceptions now. He made that incredible interception uh, last time out where he, he came from center field. Yep. You can move him around, too. He can play deep center field. He can cover in the slot. So, to me, that's where I'm very confident in LSU in this game is, yes, the, you know, you got the number one quarterback for next year, the number one quarterback for this year. You've got a stud at running back on both sides. Um, you've got two great corners and two great receivers on the outside for both teams. It's those, the nickels and the, the extra safety and the tight end to me, that's where LSU has the advantage. And if you can, if you just, it's a coin flip, and you win fifty-fifty with all those other matchups, I think LSU is going to win eighty-twenty on those those interior matchups, the nickel, the the tight end. So that's where I really like LSU, and I think that I'm really confident in this game. Another guy, Cordell Flott, has played really well yes. as of late as a true freshman. So LSU man, getting these defensive backs, these young defensive backs, to step up late in the season, that's not something you can always count on. But it has been pivotal for LSU's success because Jacoby Stevens, Grand Elpit, your two X factors are allowed to roam the football field way more because you have guys that you trust now you can put in those places to kind of cover up whatever they're doing. And I, and I kind of talk about it real quick. Like Ryan Clark was the best at covering, uh, covering up for Troy Palomalo in, in Pittsburgh. When we played against them, like RC knew that Troy's probably going to do something crazy. He's going to do something maybe a little yeah. bit unorthodox. Jump over the line of scrimmage. Exactly. But RC knew, and he covered up for him, and that pair worked perfectly. And Mo Hampton's kind of been that. Cordell Flott's, you know, starting to become that as well for this LSU defense. Real quick announcement: LSU has officially canceled classes for Monday and Tuesday. Good for them because Pri- priorities. <laughs> because I could have, 
I could have let everyone know there wasn't going to be a whole lot of activity on campus Monday and Tuesday. I have a buddy that's a professor in the state of Alabama, and he canceled classes for Monday and Tuesday because he went to LSU. So if, if he's going to yes. cancel classes at his school in the state of Alabama, it's only right that LSU did that. Hopefully uh, the lab school follows suit and my children don't have to go to school <laughs> either. All right, before uh, we get out of our last break for hour number one, uh, look, Herb Street came down to Baton Rouge, and he had a conversation with Joe Burrow, and I've heard – uh, some of the things that were mentioned there, but the length of the conversation and what they talked about yeah. and Herbie, I respect him maybe more than anybody else in our business. Yeah. And he had some great quotes. He's awesome. First of all, um, super nice behind the scenes, off camera, just very talkative. He was, they were both him and Joe. So, you know, Joe well enough. And I think people know this perception about Joe. Joe's done with media. He's just tired of doing media. He's been doing media all year. It's been crazy. Yeah. Um, he, he does it, and he's good at it. That's the problem. Like I told him once, like if you don't want to do media, like A, be worse at football, and yeah. B, be worse at doing media. But he, he's just, you know, he's, he's done so much of it now that he's just, when he does it, he's there to do a job. He's just there so he doesn't get fined, so to speak. Yes. Um, but he, he doesn't typically like doing the media stuff. It's just not his personality. But Herb Street showed up, and they started talking football, and they started watching film. And an hour and a half later, they had to be like broken up by Brandon. Like, hey, Joe, you got to go eat before practice. Like, Kirk, you know, I, it's, it's been great, but Kirk, right. Joe's got to go eat. <laughs> and, and, and if it were up to Joe, he probably would have kept talking to Kirk because the conversation they had was at such a different level. Just football, scheme, protections, everything. They really dove deep into LSU's offense and what Joe is looking for. And I just, I learned a lot. You know, one, I, I don't know a lot about quarterback play, certainly not at that level. But what Herb Street told me when Joe walked away at one point, he said, the way that that kid talks and thinks football at this age, I've never seen it. He said, Peyton Manning didn't have that. Phillip Rivers didn't have that. He, he, I mean, he went up and down the list. Andrew Luck wasn't like that. I mean, he, could, he said he could have gone on, on John Gruden's QB camp show and shined, like right. the, been the star of the show the first time he showed up. Joe senses the game, understands the game, thinks the game at such a different level, and when you hear him break down the control he has over protections, the control he has over option routes, and, and I mean, it's, it's his offense. They put everything at his feet and let him make decisions at the line of scrimmage. That's why LSU's offense, more than the studs on the outside and the protection and the, the playmakers you have and Joe's accuracy, all that stuff is important and it matters. But the difference maker, the X factor, is Joe Burrow plays football mentally at a level that maybe no other college football quarterback ever has. And that's why this offense isn't just good. It might be the best offense we've ever seen in college football because he makes the right decision 95% of the time, maybe more than that. And not just with where to go with the ball, where to slide his protection, where to motion guys, where to sense a mismatch because all those receivers know every route concept. So he can look to this island and say, Hey, let's put Jamar in the slot and let's move Terrace outside or let's put Justin outside. And he can make those decisions unilaterally and, and change the offense so that literally they'll have 10 or 15 passing concepts going into a week. Yeah. And Joe has five options on all of them. And so it's yeah. really 50. And then there's, I mean, it's, he's playing the game at such a level mentally, forget all the physical stuff. He's so far ahead of the game with his brain. And you could pick up on that with his conversation with Herbie. Well, I've never seen a quarterback more prepared at this age or even a young player in the NFL. And I was fortunate. You named two of the quarterbacks I played with, Peyton Manning and Phillip Rivers. And they're as prepared as you'll ever see. But at this age, at this time of their life, I've just I've never seen it. He's ready for every situation. And Peyton Manning said this in front of the team one time. He's like, a lot of people think that that I'm too confident or I'm cocky. He said it's not it. He said, 
I'm the most prepared. And so it comes off as confident because yeah. I can be confident because I know there's nothing the defense coordinator can throw at me that A, I wasn't ready for, or B, I can't adjust to. Yeah. And Joe Burrow has that and some. At this age, it's remarkable. Because a lot of times in college football, even the day and age of spread, you're either doing two things. You're either getting 97 signals and everybody's holding up signs and every, and that's the way you get your offense. Now, LSU does some of that, but a lot of that's for other people, not the quarterback. Yeah. Or you got the wristband on. Yep. And you've got wristband seven, right? Uh, I remember watching the Independence Bowl this year, right? My hometown, shout out, 318. And um, Tate Martell gets into the game. Who? Tate Martell was with Joe Burrow there at Ohio State. Yeah. And I remember him running around, and all I could concentrate on was the wristband that he had. He had three, like, levels of it, and it was flapping around when he was running around. Yep. I'm sitting there thinking, Tate Martell's too old to have that wristband. Yeah. He's been in the game, too. I know he hasn't played a ton, but he's too old to have that wristband. And those are things that, you know, when you're not that confident or you're not that prepared, when you don't know your offense, you have to do those things. I'm not picking on Tate Martell. Quarterbacks across the country do it. But he comes into every situation being the most prepared guy. And the fact that the last five, six, maybe even seven weeks, you really don't know what defense is going to show up against you because teams are trying literally everything they can. Even the most respected defensive coordinators changing their style that got them to the point that they're in, a la Kirby Smart. Yep you know that it's all about adjustments as well, and he can do it on the fly. The first thing he does after a touchdown, after a big play, it's not go celebrate with his teammates. He does it for a little bit. It's on getting on that phone, getting on the headset, yep. getting with his coordinators to find out, okay, what do we need to do next? He has an incredible recall for the playbook and everything. One of the, the coolest things was Herbstreit asked him how to play. He remembered like, oh, yeah, I remember Florida got me on third down. It was the third quarter. There was X amount of time on the clock, and I – I mean, he could remember every yeah. detail of a play from six weeks ago. That's the mental level that he's playing at. It's unbelievable to see. I've, t- I've told this story before, and we've got about a minute before a hard break. One of the first games of the season, it might have been the Texas game. I'm on the sideline, and I see him go over to the headset, and I'm kind of walking by. I'm about to get uh, some my high shout-out, Flynn. And he's going through the series, and it was like a seven, eight-play you know, drive, and he's going one through seven, exactly what the play call was, what he saw, why he did what he did. I'm talking about in detail, yeah. seven straight plays in order. At that moment, I'm like, okay. I thought I was a prepared college football player. I was a novice compared to what this guy's doing. When a guy that's been calling it as long as Herb Street says that he's the most advanced quarterback he's ever seen, I'm learning things from him right now at this level. I mean, that's, that says it all. He's mentally on a different plane. All right, thanks again to Jacob Hester and the crew of Hanging with Hester. Madison and Paul O'Neill for getting us that audio, letting us use it. Really appreciate that. Check out their show, like I said, weekdays, 1 to 3, 1045 ESPN in Baton Rouge. All right, I want to wrap things up with just a couple final thoughts before the game. Like I said, really confident in LSU. Think LSU should win this game if LSU plays its best game. And I have no reason to believe that LSU isn't going to play its best game. Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in LSU history, he's the best quarterback maybe in SEC history in terms of a single season, and maybe the best quarterback in college football history in terms of a single season. He's the Heisman of Heismans. He will finish with more yards passing than any Heisman winner in the last 20 years, really all time, actually. Um, More touchdown passes, better passer efficiency. He's going to be the first quarterback in college football history with a passer efficiency over 200. He's going to throw for probably a new single season record for touchdowns. He's three away. Uh, at, At this rate, he should break that. Uh, although Clemson will pose quite the challenge. Defensively, 
LSU is playing its best football of the season. I thought it was interesting yesterday on the podcast that Dave Aranda sounded so dissatisfied with his defense over the last three games. I just looked at the numbers again. I mean, they're outstanding. 182 yards passing per game. Defensively, the last three, and uh, what was it, like 70-something rushing uh, over the last three, and he's still not happy with how they've played. Um, but I think if they can play defense the way they did against Oklahoma, especially early, and uh, even if you've got a 35-7 lead, a 35-7 lead, as Dave Aranda said yesterday, it's going to cause your fire to evaporate um, in most games. I think in a national championship game and a national championship game in New Orleans, I don't think your fire evaporates in that game. I think that fire uh, is pretty inextinguishable. So I think LSU's defense is going to be fired up for 60 minutes. I think LSU's offense is going to execute for 60 minutes. The question is, you know, how well does Clemson play? What do they bring to the table? Can they do anything to make LSU get off of its game? Um, because I don't think LSU is going to get off its game otherwise. The, 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 only, the only other way that LSU would get off its game, I think, is just the, the hype of the game, the expectations of the game, the pressure of the game. But this team seems not impervious to it, but they seem to thrive through it. Seems to bring out the best in them, especially with Joe at quarterback, the weapons he has on offense. They seem to play their best in the big moments. So that's what I expect from LSU. I don't know exactly what to expect from Clemson, uh, other than I don't think the moments can be too big for them either. They've won 29 games in a row. They're the defending national champions. They've got a chip on their shoulder. Really respect what Dabo does as a coach. Trevor Lawrence, is uh, he's the second-best quarterback in the country, in my opinion, and he's shown what he can do in big games. He's won a national championship, which Joe Burrow has not. Um, so he's he's got that in his back pocket, and uh, he's got that in his favor. He's got weapons, too. He's got uh, a playmaker at running back, playmakers at receivers at receiver, and uh, he's got a defense that's maybe the best in the country, and statistically they give up the fewest points per game in the country, and I think they're second in, in total defense in terms of yards. So... It will be a stiff challenge for LSU. Um, how good this Clemson team is compared to LSU in terms of schedule has been the big question mark. But you don't beat Ohio State the way that, L that Clemson beat Ohio State without being a good football team and a team that can overcome obstacles and, uh, and, and prove the world wrong. So it's weird because you have two programs, I think, and two teams that are full of blue-chip talent but still play with a chip on their shoulder. And that's been the recipe that LSU's used to thrive this season. But it's also the recipe that Clemson's used to thrive this season. And so you almost have two teams with similar mindsets, uh, similar skill sets. It's going to boil down to who executes best on game day and uh, who can make the difference on the margins, the third downs, the red zones, the turnover battles. Um, that's probably where this game will be won or lost. So I'm excited. I don't have any more previewing of this game to do. I think you've gotten quite your fill of it this week. This is like my, what, third or fourth podcast um, this week on this one. So Lord knows you've heard my voice enough. Uh, I'm ready for some football. I know you are too. But like I said, like I always try to say, like I hope you know by now, can't thank you enough for listening all season long up to this point. And uh, come back, come back after the game. Hopefully we're celebrating together. I don't know what I'm going to do after the game, win, lose, or draw. I really don't know how to handle a, uh, a hurry up podcast after the national championship in New Orleans. I'm going to try to bring my A game, though. I'm going to try to bring my best to the table and uh, and give you all what you deserve, which is the very best. So until then, thanks for listening. And uh, we will talk again late on Monday night after the national championship game. Until then, I'm going to leave you not with my normal outro music. We'll save that for the very end. 
But I'm going to leave you with the audio from the video that Hester was talking about at the very beginning of our conversation. A 60-minute drive for a 60-minute game. It's all led to this. Think of all that time. Every sprint in the summer. Every weight in the winter. All those hours no one else saw. Think of every sacrifice. Early mornings on the levee. Late nights in the film room. Bus rides to playoff games. Every bump in the road. Every moment of ecstasy. Every moment of doubt. Years wondering. Is it all worth it? It's all led to this. Man, I got this It's a 60-minute drive for a 60-minute game. After all the miles we've traveled, we're almost there. After all the hours we've worked, one more can make us legends. After all that time, this is our time. Victory 